Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did I get it right, Rob? Do you remember that sermon Rob preached a number of, probably a year or so ago? I just always remember that that is the appropriate greeting. So I remembered it. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are full this morning with thankfulness for what you have done and what you are continuing to do. Lord, as we sang, build your kingdom here. Your kingdom is growing. Your kingdom is expanding. And Lord, may, may this drive us. May this fuel us. To, to spur each other on and to become more and more like you. Pray this in your name. Amen. I may have said, I, I typically, if, 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 um, if I'm asked to speak on an occasion like this, my mind, I, I sort of latch on to little things and then that will remind me of something and then that makes me think of something else and then a scripture comes to mind that's sort of, that's sort of how this came about today. Um, um, <clears throat> I read an article in, in World Magazine, or an editorial in World Magazine. It was actually a reprint from about 18 years ago and uh, written by Joel Belts. He's founding editor of the of the magazine, um, and it got me thinking. And and just I, I just want to read part of that article, and then go from there. He he starts out by talking about how I don't know if you if you're my age or older. Do, do you remember like being worried that the Russians would come and shut the church down? How many how many of you kind of have that in your psyche? Let me see your hand. Hey Rob, yeah, people my age and older, you just think, man. Of course, you know, I would have been born before the Vietnam War ended, and so, the, you know, the communists were pushing, they were taking ground. And so the fear was, you know, we may not be able to worship here sometime. And that's kind of how he starts his article, and then, and then he, he kind of shifts gears. But, that, but in our own setting these days, I think we Americans should worry a good bit more about another trend that I doubt we're prepared for. That movement is the locking of thousands of church doors from the inside <clears throat> just because there are so few folks in there to keep things going. I thought of this a few days ago when I saw a pasteboard sign in front of the attractive Methodist church in our neighborhood. It's one of at least a dozen churches that for 29 years we've driven by on our way to our own church across town, but I've never had reason to stop in. The sign advertised a country steak dinner that evening, so I suggested to my wife that she skip cooking that night and that we get to know a few of our neighbors. The $6 a plate price seemed more than fair. You know that was written more than two years ago. Now, I know that dinner fundraisers have been a tradition at churches for a long time, but aren't they supposed to be something of a celebration? This was neither a jubilant nor a successful event. In a church whose sanctuary must seat 200, not more than two dozen people were seated for the dinner, and tellingly, almost all of them were older than I was. The atmosphere was dutiful, dark, and laborious, and no one offered a handshake. My wife and I sat down and 
opposite a couple and introduced ourselves. He was a widower in his 80s, and she was his daughter. They made this annual dinner part of their regular schedule, though they were not Methodists, but Baptists from across town. Did they know the folks in this church? Indeed, but there were, they said, only about 25 of them left on any given Sunday morning. Indeed, the same thing was true in their own church. The aura of dying was everywhere. Get ready, America. Get ready for the huge collapse from within that is soon to result in the locking of hundreds and then thousands of church doors across our country, all from the inside. The trend is already well underway, of course, in Roman Catholic circles. Mainline churches, like the Methodist Church in my neighborhood, will not be far behind. Denominational treasuries simply aren't up to the task of sustaining ministry personnel and facility upkeep for neighborhood franchises that can't carry their own weight. When the 25 elderly people who gather now each week dwindle to a dozen, someone will have to pay the piper, and someone will have to mow the lawn of the church that isn't being used anymore. And then, sooner than you think, it will be the turn of the evangelical churches as well. Stick your head in the door on a typical Sunday morning, and you will see how many children are around, and see how many children are around. If you were a regional manager for McDonald's, you'd close the place in a jiffy. Except for the grit and determination of a few old stalwarts, it would already have happened. But there's no promise for the future. Now, you're probably saying, wow, Marvin, you're morbid this morning, aren't you? Like I say, it reminds me of other things. If this sanctuary were a McDonald's lobby, and this hypothetical McDonald's regional manager stuck his head in the back door, I think he would be ecstatic. Look at all the boys in here. He's thinking cash flow. <laughs> Aaron, how, how much does it cost you to go to McDonald's if you feed your boys what they want? <laughs> you probably won't get out of there for less than 50 bucks, will you? Now, I'm not talking about marketing here. That's a whole different thing. But there are similarities. And I'm just going to... And, and so kind of what I am thinking was thinking about, and then I moved into a, a scripture that I'd like to talk about, it, it, you know, how do we nurture or encourage a vibrant, healthy, growing body of believers here at this location. Now, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't claim to be a student of this stuff, but I, just some thoughts that I've had. And I'll just throw this one out. This one's for free. You young couples that have or had have made the choice to bring children into this world, thumbs up. Go get them. <laughs> Congratulations. That is a sign of hope. So how do we, how do we foster this vibrant, healthy congregation? And that reminded me of the sermon that Jim preached uh, 
last summer, I believe, he had went to conference, and uh, he gave us a few German words to digest. And so I'm going to pull those back up. Can, can you guys put the first one up? Um, <clears throat> Gesellschaft. Those of you who are here, if you, what did that word mean? I'm going to quiz you a little bit, see how good your memory is. Do you remember what that word meant? Okay, um, it, what, what, these, what these first two words, don't put the second one up yet, but what these first two words were sort of, they, they, uh, some German sociologists came up with these words to sort of describe how people interact and kind of put different relationships into categories, and they've been used in various ways through the years. But this one, like, ties through your occupation. I recall overhearing a conversation that Anthony was having with some other people here, and, and he was saying how at his work, it, it's basically you are doing your job. It doesn't matter whether you're a Trump supporter or a libertarian or hardcore Biden or who was the libertarian, Joanne, or I can't remember who she was. But anyway, the, 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 the common theme is let's get this job done, Okay. So I'm just going to suggest here that if Anthony and all his co-workers would leave that job and go somewhere else, the ties probably wouldn't be very strong. I mean, they'd probably keep in contact, but it, it, would, be, it would not be a very strong bond. And the point Jim was making is, are we gazelleshaft? And I think pretty much we've decided, no, Turkey Run is not that. Okay, put the next one up. Um, can, can you keep them all, like, stack one on top? You can't, that's all right. Gemeinschaft. What did this one mean? Okay. Uh, a community, or, or the ties that come through common values. And, and I, think, I think as we worked through this, um, we, we, we decided that we are much more this than we are Gazelleshaft. However, um, this applies not just to church life. And, and one reason I think this, this may not be the, the, the best, and, and Jim, you can school me afterwards if you want to, but a good example of Gemeinschaft is <clears throat> um, when I was a kid, every summer we would go to my dad's 1W reunion. Does anybody have a clue what I just said? <laughs> okay, my dad was a conscientious objector during World War II, and, they, and you could do alternative service. And so he, did, he worked at a hospital in Cleveland, and that's, in fact, that's how he, he met my mom. Um, and, and there were a group of guys, and one of them was actually Walter Beachy. And so there were a bunch of these guys from Ohio that worked at this hospital in Columbus. And so after the Korean War was over and they, and they served their... Um, uh, their time, it wasn't quite the right expression, but after they, after they fulfilled their duties, they met every year. And as kids, every summer we would go and they'd have a high old time and as kids would have a high old time, but probably about, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, it just stopped being much fun for us kids anyway. And they started dying off and now there's no more 1W reunion. Now, that was an example of a Gemeinschaft, I, I would think. You know, common values, common experiences, but it's gone. So the question is, how do you keep Gemeinschaft going? Or 
is there something more? Uh, okay, put the next one up. Uh, Freinschaft? How is that pronounced, Carl? Freinschaft? Freund, Freundschaft. Now, what's that mean? Carl, what's it mean? Okay. Community of friends. We are tied. And, and I was thinking about this. I know. How many of you know what did the Quakers call themselves? Friends. Society of friends. Now, I, I don't mean to. disparage, but how many of you know a vibrant Quaker church right now? Boy, not too many. What happened? I don't, I mean, they, they stress that. We are friends. We are common. We, we have things, you know, we, we share. What happened? I, 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 I honestly don't know. I can't, I can't claim to but for sure, the, the, the foot, I'll say the footprint of the Quakers is much less now than say it was in the time when William Penn founded the colony of Pennsylvania. You know, that, that was in large part, we, Anabap we are those of Anabaptist heritage, our ancestors owe a lot to him. He, he provided a place that was safe for us Anabaptists to come and worship. We weren't really welcome in New England, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> they carried a little bit of the Protestant stuff with them to, uh, to New England. So, so Anabaptists weren't too welcome there. Um, so I, I want to go, go one further and just see if, and, and we'll just kind of work at this one. And and see and and see if you can all at least partly agree with me. Okay, put the last one up. Now, Carl, pronounce that one for me. Familia. Does that look like a word any of you recognize? <laughs> okay, family. Um, let me just put the brakes on for a little bit. You you can take that down now. Thanks. Um, and, and, and I have a reason for kind of doing this. Okay, so there's, there's a method or a way of not necessarily interpreting, but applying Scripture. Um, I don't know if it has a name. I just sort of read one guy's thoughts on it, and, and I'm sure it's not original with him, but, and he didn't have a name for it, but I'm, I gave it a name. I call it the one-room schoolhouse method. So when you're in a one-room schoolhouse, you have grades, say, one to eight. Each of those grades has a lesson plan or a lesson, you know, you have your job. But what is happening is the teacher is calling, let's say you're in grade two, and grade seven is called for to do their reciting or to do their math. You are hearing that. You are seeing that. You are seeing stuff that you don't know about yet. It's, it's not on your test. But you're hearing it. You're you're kind of the outsider looking in. You follow me? And, and a benefit of that is that these young kids, they they sort of know what's coming. They they're hearing it every day. They can observe. They can hear. And so it's already kind of getting printed in their 
kind of layered in their, in their minds. And the, same, and the same would go for those who are older. They are hearing stuff and it's being reinforced. You know, um, the times tables of kids are up there. It's just, it's just a way of reinforcement for those things you already know. So here's the first question. If you were a family who left Egypt in the Exodus on your journey to the promised land, what was your lesson plan? What was your lesson plan? You got it at Mount Sinai. What was your lesson plan? You got the first five books of the Bible. That was what you were to work on for the rest of your lives. Okay? Does, does, does that apply to us? Or are we observers looking, looking in? Okay, and this is controversial, and far be it for me to say anything controversial. <laughs> okay, and, and you can answer here in these next few questions. What if you represent a Jewish family who has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Chosen One? What if all your life you had been taught that Moses was the prophet who brought God's revelation. That there is nothing greater than the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and that we achieve righteousness by obedience to the law. What is your lesson plan? Hebrews. Would you agree with that? And also the book of James is written to Jewish Christians. So, do you see where I'm going with this? We as Gentiles are looking in on that conversation. We are listening to it. Can we learn from it? Absolutely. But there's a level of application that rests on a Jewish convert that is different from us. Okay, like I say, I'm being controversial here, but that's I'm, I'm sort of giving this... Um, this, uh, putting this thought out here. What if you were one of the twelve disciples? What was your lesson plan? Huh? The Gospels. Oh, wasn't that for us too? I, again, I'm just presenting this as, as, as to, to, to help provoke our thinking here. Let me throw this out. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, go you into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, did that commission, does that commission have the same weight on us as it did on them? You don't have to answer that. I'm, I'm not sure myself. Did they obey it? They absolutely did obey it. I, I think every one of they they scattered. I, Thomas went to India. I think the tr tradition is that Andrew went to the Black Sea area. I know. I know. I think some of the Orthodox churches claim Andrew as their spiritual father. Okay. What about the unwashed, unclean 
Gentile hordes. That's us, by the way. What's our lesson plan? What's our script? What? Paul's epistles to the Gentile churches. Those carry a special meaning, I believe, for us. Um, <clears throat> okay. Back to that word familia or family. Now, the word family occurs 123. 123 times in the Bible, in the King James Version, which, of course, is the right version. I, I, didn't, I didn't look up any other concordances because they're all copyrighted and you have to pay for those. Um, so the word family occurs 123 times in the Bible. 122 times it occurs in the Old Testament. So there's only one time in the New Testament that the word family is used in the King James Version. Now, I have to qualify that a little bit because the idea is definitely there. Now, pop quiz. You don't get any points for this. But any of you know, without Googling, where that is? The one time that fam the word family is used. Huh? Uh, it was Household. <laughs> Sorry, we're going King James here, I think. Yeah, like I said, the idea is there. <clears throat> um, turn in your Bibles to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians. Why did I write Galatians? I mean Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a, a fair bit of this. Just um, Ephesians, I keep getting messed up here. One one thing you'll notice about if if you have a Bible that kind of that kind of breaks Paul's epistles into thoughts rather than just a verse indented every verse, you'll notice typically that in Paul's epistles, the first part of the book is long sentences, long paragraphs. And then you get to the end and it's short sentences, short paragraphs. I'm going to start in some of the long paragraphs. And the reason that you, 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 really, have to, you really have to follow his thought. And, and some of the early 20th century writers like, like um, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, they did the same thing. Law, I mean, a paragraph would take a whole page and you just had what, what are you getting at here? <clears throat> I'm going to start reading in um, Galatians 2. I'm sorry, I wrote Galatians and I'm at Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision <clears throat> by, which is called, by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, 
that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm trying to read this the way it should be, but I'm probably reading it in a monotone compared to what Paul is thinking. Paul is getting excited. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written br- briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Of this Gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for for you, which is your glory. I'm paraphrasing this a little bit here, but I think what Paul is saying, this same grace that was given to me to bring you this message, is the same grace that you have received and now believe. Okay? In other words, you Gentile believers are evidence and proof that the wall of hostility has been broken down and that Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to God. In other words, that congregation in Ephesus was proof to Paul that his message was legitimate. And, and he just bursts out into the song. 
Verse 15, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There's the word. King James Version. The only, the only time that word family shows up in the New Testament. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Was Paul positive about the future? Is this congregation here at Turkey Run part of that all generations? Is, was Paul excited about Turkey Run? Are you? You should be. We are part of that proof that God has now accepted the Gentiles. That that wall of hostility has been broken down. We are living proof of that. Now, I want to end with something practical. Because, you know, that wasn't very practical. <clears throat> Remember what I said about the beginning of the epistles? Paul writes these long paragraphs. Then at the end he writes very short ones. So, if, if we are family, according to this passage in Ephesians, we are. Paul gives some family rules, doesn't he? How do you function? How do you keep things from blowing apart? How do you, how do you keep things... Um, how do you maintain that unity? So, I'm going to go to chapter 6. And just, just read a couple verses. And, and it's going to be very brief. And I'm going to narrow it way, way down. Chapter 6, verses 1-4. through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise. That it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm really going to narrow this down. If you are younger than me, I'm 53, and you're a guy, raise your hand. Okay, good representation there. Some of you, some of you boys aren't raising your hands, but you should be. Okay, I'm talking to you right now. Okay, listen, guys, honor and respect your dad. Did you hear me? I'm not eliminating the thing of honoring and respecting your mom. That's 
I want to make this as specific as possible. Honor and respect your dad. He does not need to earn your respect. He deserves it. One of the things I, <coughs> I noticed in, in my working with the Amish over the years, there was one, one, one farm or one family in particular that <coughs> there was a bunch of boys. There was like five of them, and they were pretty close in age. Like They just came one right after the other. And Saturday nights when I'd go uh, pick up, when I was picking up their, their milk, they would milk by hand and put it in cans. Um, you could always tell when Dad wasn't around. There, there was a level of orneriness that went way up. Now, I, I'm not, my point, boys will be boys, but what you notice is when Dad was around, they were very subdued. I think that's a good thing. I have also noticed that in the presence of their father, even older, older guys, guys that already have their own families, have their own business, they're very subdued in the presence of their dad. I think that is very commendable. So, guys, a couple things. Don't talk over your dad. Don't belittle your dad. I know there's, there's times for good-natured fun. It doesn't matter if you're 60 and he's 90. Respect and honor him. I didn't do very well at this, and I can assure you, guys, if, if that relationship is a problem, you're going to have problems in other relationships. It will happen. And then the last one, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger, your sons to anger. Dads, don't anger your sons with unrealistic expectations. Don't overload them with responsibilities that you yourself are not willing to do. I have the great privilege of having a boy who likes to climb. And so when it's time to finish filling the silo, I can send him up there. I don't have to do it anymore. It's great. But I could really get him frustrated if I expected him to do something that he's not familiar with. Okay, it's time to let the silo unloader down and get it set up. If I'm just hollering orders at him from the ground, he's going to get so frustrated. I have to be willing to show him, okay, this is how it's done. Do this. Like I said, this a very short sons honor your dads. Dads, don't provoke your children. That, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go. Are we family? <laughs> Let's live like the family of God. Now, I, I kind of wrestled a little bit with what song to choose. I go with, let's uh, turn to number 360 in the hymnal. Um, we, have, we have the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, but I, I went with this one because verses 3 and 4 come directly from Ephesians chapter 3, part of what we just read. Um, 
We sang this song a few times here. Um, I think we, we would know it well enough to sing it. So let's sing it together, all, all five verses, even though verse 5 is a repeat of verse 1. Let's sing it together.